0: Hi, people. Uh, Am I going to get through this? Am I going to get through this? I was a mess during that song. Anyway, (laughs) I feel like someone's over my shoulder. Friends, I've been here for 11 years, and the thing I've loved about being here for 11 years is that we, as a church, are um, when we, the way we have our preaching program is we work through books of the Bible. The good thing about that is that it means that. Uh, when you come to this church, you don't get Kurt riding his hobby horse every week, okay, just bringing his stuff. Um, we're a church that has Jesus leading his church through his word on a Sunday. And so we let him speak. And so I get the privilege, and I have had the privilege for the last 11 years, of spending the time listening to Jesus, praying to Jesus, asking what he was saying, and then coming on a Sunday and saying, this is what I think he's saying for our church. And so it's a beautiful thing. And so today, Jesus has given us three chapters of Acts. Isn't he nice? <laughs> it could have been a nice little short section he gave us, but he gave three chapters of Acts. So let me pray and ask him to speak to us as he has done these 11 years. Father God, we just praise you for your word. We thank you that you speak through it. You speak to us. You give us a word that we need in season, and you do it every Sunday. And Father, we pray today again that your spirit, through your word, would speak into our lives. Change us and help us to see how special the Lord Jesus is. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the enjoyable parts of being a pastor, uh, I think enjoyable for me, maybe not for you, is me sharing stories about my life and you listening. (laughs) I have taken you back to random moments, silly moments, foolish moments, most of them in that category, to make what are usually rock solid links between the passage and my life. Sometimes tenuous, sometimes tenuous. Uh, and I think if you could replay them all, like if you've got all the little snippets of all the advice I share, I think you would get a sense for what drove me growing up. Um, And I think there's two big things. You would know that it was sport. All right? Here's me in my prime. You know it was sport with my visions of glory in rugby league, glory in tennis, glory in basketball. Secondly, you know it was girls. (laughs) you know it was ladies. And you'd know that in the midst of those two passions that... Uh, of pursuing girls while doing sports science at uni, that I encountered the truth that Jesus was alive. They encountered Jesus. And my life has never been the same. And that's not a testimony that's just mine. It's the testimony of this passage we just read here this morning. Paul's life was driven by the resurrected Jesus. His life was written. Directed and driven by the resurrected Jesus. And today, like every day for the last 11 years, my prayer is that you would, as we look at Jesus' word, encounter him. And like Paul and me, be changed. If you're new with us or you're online with us this morning for my final uh, week. um, This term, God's been leading us through the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, and it picks up the story after the resurrected Jesus ascended into heaven, and it shows us what Jesus continues to do in his church through the work of the Spirit, through the proclaiming of the Word. Uh, the last section that we've been going through has focused on the resurrected Jesus did through the ministry of Paul. And so we've read about how, after years of this pioneering work of ministry, of planning churches, and telling people about Jesus, Paul goes to Jerusalem and gets imprisoned, and then effectively the last chapters of the book of Acts, he kind of ping pongs around between different leaders on the way to Rome. And Acts 24-26 is part of that journey from Jerusalem to Rome, being ping-ponged on the way. And as we go through, we're going to see he endures three trials between three men before three men. And he gets three opportunities to tell people about the risen Jesus. So firstly, Felix, uh, chapter 24, verse 1. It says, And after five days, the high priest Ananias came with some elders, and a spokesman, one Tertullus, they laid before the governor their case before Paul. So after mistreatment in Rome, uh, Paul ends up in Caesarea, which is just a little bit north on the coast, to face this trial before Felix. Uh, The Jews from Jerusalem come to Caesarea to accuse him. But instead of speaking for themselves, they bring like a hired gun, like a a lawyer, basically. They bring Tertullus, who would have been an expert in Roman law uh, and a great speaker. And so he accuses Paul before the Roman governor of insurrection against Rome. Paul's response is, no, it's not insurrection that i'm here today it's for the belief in the resurrection so verse 21 he says it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that i'm on trial before you this day why is paul there because he believes in the resurrection i.e he believes that jesus rose from the dead because he met him paul's life was driven it was shaped it was directed by the resurrected jesus it changed him Felix realises as he's speaking to Paul his innocence, but he doesn't want to upset the Jews. And so what does he do? He puts Paul in custody for later on. Now, you think, oh, maybe he'll come back the next day. No, it's two years Paul is in custody. So his case is delayed for two years. Paul is uh, under house arrest, effectively, with people coming to, to occasionally see him. You can imagine being Paul. You're this accomplished church planner. You've had, you know, you're at the prime of your life. You've seen all these churches being planted and things going crazy for Jesus. And then all of a sudden, you're put in jail for two years, and you're thinking, "What the heck, Lord?" And so for two years, he occasionally sees his friends while under guard. But then after two years, he faces another leader, governor called Festus. So two years later, uh, the Jerusalem leaders still want to have Paul killed. And so Festus, who takes over from Felix, is approached by the Jews and said, Hey, Festus, can you go to Caesarea and convince them to bring Paul back to Jerusalem? And while he's on the way, we're going to come out and ambush him. And so Festus decides to visit Paul to work out whether to send Paul back to Jerusalem. Uh, Again, the Jews arrive and they accuse Paul of charges against him without proof. And Paul pleads his innocence. But for Festus to maintain his position, he needs to have the Jews on side. Uh, And so he tries to get Paul to go back to Jerusalem so they can ambush him on the way. But Paul in that moment, because the Lord Jesus in chapter 23 has said, you're going to go to Rome. He says, I appeal to Rome because I'm a Roman citizen. I want to stand before Caesar in Rome. And although Festus wanted to do the Jews a favour, his royalty to Roman law he had to give Paul his request. Now the problem for Festus is he had nothing to send him to Caesar with because he couldn't figure out what Paul had done. So in order to save face, he goes to another ruler called King Agrippa to assess the case for him. And that's the third person. Uh, Agrippa was a Roman ruler uh, and he was also a Jewish man. In fact, he was the one who actually appointed the next high priest. And so many people called Agrippa the king of the Jews. Agrippa decides he'd like to hear the case himself, so he has this massive big hearing where lots of dignitaries come to hear him, and he stands, Paul stands before him. And so in chapter 26, Paul, as Vlad read, gives his defense before Agrippa. He starts by recounting his zealous life as a Jew. He says he's not on trial for believing something the Jews don't believe, they believe in the resurrection. It's for believing something the Jews do as well. So verse 8, he says, Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? He then recounts his conversion, as you heard in the kids' talk, that he did everything he could to stop people talking about Jesus. He was trying to imprison them. But then he encountered the risen Jesus on Damascus Road and was changed. Verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me and when we had all fallen to the ground i heard a voice saying to me in the hebrew language saul saul why are you persecuting me it is hard for you to kick against the goads and i said who are you lord and the lord said i am jesus whom you are persecuting but rise and stand upon your feet for i have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Paul says my life was changed when I saw the resurrected Jesus and having met him, I became a witness to tell others that he had risen from the dead. Verse 24, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. I've felt like that before. Like I felt as you stand up and say in front of people as I've done ministry here at this church, that we believe in the risen Jesus, that he actually rose from the dead. You can feel like people are looking at you thinking you're a bit of a nutter. But look at Paul's response. Verse 25. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking the true and rational words for the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for well, this has not been done in a corner. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not a nutter. I haven't lost track of reality. I'm rational here. The things I'm speaking about in of this resurrection is uh, actual historical events that happen. Pe- pe- people, pe- Paul says to him, people know they saw Jesus come back from the dead. Jesus really did rise. Paul says, King, you know these things. Verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? So Agrippa's like, yeah, whatever. He scoffs at the idea that Paul, in such a short period of time, could convince him to follow Jesus. Verse 29, and Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these change. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, yes, I want you to become a Christian. Now, as I've thought about this w- this week, what's interesting is how he says that. He says, yes, I want you to be a Christian, but, but he says, I want you to become such as I am, except for the pr- imprisonment part. He doesn't say, I want you to become like Jesus. He wants you to become like such as I am. What does he mean by that? He's saying, I want you to become like someone who has experienced, encountered the resurrected Jesus through the message about him and had your whole life changed so that you become a witness yourself of these truths? See, Paul's life was shaped, it was driven, it was transformed by the resurrected Jesus, by meeting Jesus. And as a consequence, his life looked like Jesus. And one of the things you notice as you go through the book of Acts is uh, uh, how as you hear the followers of Jesus and the way they live, it has a very jesus shape to the way they live. So here with Paul's example, just like Jesus, Paul was innocent, yet was accused of crime. Just like Jesus, he stood before trial before Roman rulers. Just like Jesus, he was unjustly condemned. See, when Paul met Jesus... He just didn't encounter a bunch of teachings written by a bloke. He met a living king who, by the Holy Spirit, became enlivening Paul. So Galatians 2.20 says, Paul says this, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But Christ who lives in me the living Christ, lived in the Apostle Paul and he proclaimed him each and every day. He directed, he transformed his life. And so as we come to my final day at church, I want to point out the reality that my ministry has never been just mine. And now that's not me just being humble or anything like that. It is just the truth. It's the objective truth The life you've seen these last 11 years has not been because I'm some good bloke or I had a good upbringing or all those different things, although they might be true. It is because the resurrected Jesus came to meet me 20 years ago. It's because the resurrected Jesus, by his spirit, through his word, has lived in me. And so I want to tell you how in three ways. Firstly, there's more, but this is three ways I wanted to pick on. Firstly, the living Jesus has empowered my preaching. The Holy Spirit has opened and continues to open my blind eyes so that as I read the word, I see the glory of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. And seeing that compels me to be a witness, to tell people about that, to try to persuade you over and over again that Jesus really is alive. That he is not some dead religious teacher who had some moral teachings, but he is the living king and he is active today. The living king who died on a cross to save every one of you. The only one worth living for. And so as I've got up before you and spoken that message, I've done that with confidence. But it hasn't just been because I have a confident demeanour. My confidence has come because that same Holy Spirit that convicted Paul of this truth is the same Holy Spirit that convicted me. The living Jesus has empowered my preaching. The living Jesus, secondly, has empowered my persevering in this last 11 years, there have been multiple times when I thought it was over. Whether it was in year one, when we had the trauma of a kind of a a messy relationship with a community member, whether it was year three, and the difficulty of struggling group down in the big um, um, hall down at the school, whether it was when I burned out in 2017, whether it was my Parkinson's diagnosis in 2018, I know the thing that sustained, sustained my soul and made, made me to persevere was not that I had a good positive attitude about life. But it was the resurrected Jesus who showed up time after time, giving me his word and wisdom, saying, keep going, you have a foothold, keep going. But not just his words, the Lord Jesus provided his church, people to encourage me. He used my incredible wife and her commitment to me and her love for you. He used my supportive staff team and leadership. God used every single person who has been part of this body here to enable me by his spirit to persevere. His resurrection power... And animating his church, animating my life to be able to serve you. So the living Jesus has enabled my persevering. Thirdly, the living Jesus has given me perspective. When I was discouraged that people were not becoming Christians. When I preach my guts out. When I've letterboxed the same places over and over again. When I wondered why God gave me Parkinson's. When I sat down with broken people. And who are going through really hard times. And when I've seen people have really struggles in their marriage. When I felt completely hopeless. The thing that has kept me going. Is that Jesus is alive. And that although sometimes my experience seems to be screaming out, God's dead. You're by yourself. The resurrection says he is alive. Whether, whether you are poor, stuck in a Roman prison for two years, thinking to yourself, what the heck, Lord? Whether I'm up front preaching and I'm struggling because of my Parkinson's. Jesus is the living King and he is living in me. So here is the truth about reality that has played out in these last 11 years. Anything you have seen in me that has been good, any way I've blessed you, any way I've pastored you, any way I've loved you, any way I've cared for you, any word that I've encouraged you with, any text message, any conversation, any hug, it's all been because of Jesus and his word living in me. I don't know how many people I've shared this with, but when I was 22 years old, while I was in prayer before the Lord, uh, Jesus gave me a vision of him. That's the only vision I've ever had. In some senses, I think it's the only vision I think I ever need. But it was the Lord Jesus standing on top of a hill, looking down at wounded sheep, And he said to me, Kurt, I want to give you my heart for my people. I want you to serve as an overseer. And friends, that's what he's done. Every bit of pastoral love I've shown you has been from him. And this is why that's so significant today. Because even though I'm finishing up today, and I'm grieving it, Because I love you. You're my family. Jesus is not going anywhere. And he has been the ultimate pastor of you for the last 11 years. Jesus, through his word, through me, has pastored you. And the same way his word and spirit empowered Paul's ministry, empowered my ministry. I know he is alive in Andy. And your new pastor as well. Leading you, empowering you, inspiring you through his word. Friends, hear this. Jesus is alive. If this morning you are someone who has not put your trust in that living Jesus, then let me, let me ask you as clearly as I can. Do it today. He is the Jesus who rose from the dead, the one who died on the cross to save you, to make you his child. He's calling you this moment to come back to Him. Come to Him. Let me pray. Father, we are we are so thankful to you because these last eleven years you have blessed us. You've used me, you've used all the people here to speak the gospel into each other's lives that we might be built up and transformed and changed. I thank you, Jesus, that you gave me this privilege. And I thank you, Jesus, that you have used me in spite of my witnesses to minister your gospel. Father, we are so thankful that the Lord Jesus still is alive today and that he is alive in this church and will continue on so. And so we look forward to Andy coming on and we pray a blessing on his ministry. As Jesus, you continue to pastor your church at St. Matt's.